0: Welcome to Insights with Sites, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Sites.
1: Our lessons for the seventh Sunday, after Pentecost, which this year is July the 8th, are taken from, in our continuous reading in track 1, 2 Samuel chapter 5, which has been paired with Psalm 48. And in the track 2 paired reading, we have a text from Ezekiel chapter 2 and Psalm 123. Our continuous epistle reading moves forward into the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians and our gospel reading is for this Sunday from the 6th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. With the death of Saul, which we heard last Sunday in our readings, the drama of the final chapters of 1 Samuel stabilizes, at least as far as David's own health and safety are concerned. But as with aftershocks following an earthquake, the transition to his own secure rule over all Israel is not yet here. A son of Saul remains, Ishboshet, and he has sufficient following to be made king as Saul's successor. You'll recall that his other sons were killed with him at Mount Gilboa. And the military retainers for the house of David and the house of Saul remain on violent autopilot, Joab and Abner and their respective camp followers. Saul's son is killed, however, by treachery, and the ringleaders receive the same fate as did the opportunist who claimed to have slain Saul. And for the same reason, David did not seek to eliminate rivalry in the house of Saul. Rather, he avenged those who sought to end the reign of Saul's house in the hope David would find that cause for their advancement. Now only the lame son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, mentioned in passing, so to alert us, alone he remains of the house of Saul. And as we read in our lesson for today, the men of Judah, the tribes of Judah and of Israel are now as one, and David is king over them both, and his long reign in the newly named city of David is here chronicled. We will now wait to see the future unfold with only Mephibosheth left of the lineage of Saul. Psalm 48 has been chosen to offer praise to Zion, the place of God's dwelling, the place of his special choosing, the place where he defends his life with his people against earthly threats, and the place where above all kingship, including that of his chosen one David, he is king. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, in the city of our God is his holy hill, beautiful and lofty, the joy of all the earth is the hill of Zion, the very center of the world and the city of the great king. As in the opening, Psalm 2, paired with Psalm 1, we're reminded here of God's holy hill and of his promises to his son, the king, my beloved, who will be protected from assaults. For assaults there will be only because of God's infinite kingship and upholding promise in defending David and his lineage. Our gospel reading fast forwards us to just such an assault now in the fullness of time for David's greater son. Jesus is manifesting power and authority and wisdom, such as only God can give. In this is his kingdom come, and yet offense is taken He can only be who he is as all others are, the son of Mary. Here is his family. He's known by his trade. Where did this man get all this? Jesus responds, as did the prophets of old, who were known as different, as prophets, just to the degree they were impossible to understand on human terms only. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Zechariah, Hosea, and the list goes on. They all had fathers and hometowns. Yet these are but footnotes now on the depository of testimony they have left to us, which continues to bear witness long after their passing. Isaiah was not hurt in his day. He is told up front his address will shut ears and close eyes and make hearts fat. But on he goes, and his testimony is preserved and then opened for a new generation. Our prophet Ezekiel, in the reading today, his chapter 2 is chosen. This Ezekiel is given woe and lamentation, like Jeremiah, to eat. And God provides, however, for him an antacid and fills him with a spirit that sets him on his feet and sends him on his thus-says-the-Lord way. So Jesus is provided with a long list of valiant forerunners. And in this, he can be sure his path is well prepared now for him to walk in in the fullness of time. At another place, Ezekiel, anticipating Jesus' hometown comments here, speaks of having to address his own people for whom his words are just so much foreign babble, ironically unlike the nations who do not know his tongue but who would listen and get it, by contrast. And just as there is a lineage of prophets, in which Jesus stands, so he now sends forth those who will work in his name and with his authority. They too will encounter pushback and a refusal to be welcomed, and that's anticipated today. They could be well equipped with the prayer that is the psalm chosen for this Sunday To you, Lord Jesus, I lift my eyes. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. When contempt comes, have mercy. Defend us from scorn and derision. And so it is, we read, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, those who were sick, and cured them, looking to the Master. Paul's description in our continuous reading for today from the 12th chapter of Second Corinthians, his description of his thorn in the flesh can come alongside the gospel as well. He gets there, however, by a very specific route in his discourse. The super apostles in Corinth have claimed spiritual visions and experiences about which they boast. Paul can speak of himself in similar terms but he does so by means of avoiding his own first person and speaking as if of someone else. For 14 long years, Paul has kept this experience to himself and never used it to boast. The third heaven is an expression from the day. There was a sky, a starry night, and then the abode of God himself in the third heaven, paradise. Paul's experience there was both real and also not for publication, rather for edification, for an example of how not to puff up, even while Paul was sure that he indeed was in God's very presence. And indeed, Paul speaks not of boasting, but of his affliction here, his thorn in the flesh, and his weaknesses, a physical, a mental, and a spiritual thorn from which Paul prayed unceasingly to be released. It's important that his apostleship does not lift him into lofty places of peace and boasting causing envy, but means rather a constant reliance on the strength of God alone in his day-to-day ministry. The only answer to his prayer for relief was in fact the answer he receives inside his affliction, and that is that my power is made perfect in weakness. That says it all. The presence of the power of Christ is such that it cancels out whatever afflicts and whatever condemns us on account of that very shortcoming in our flesh. That is the true answer to prayer. And that is the cause for Paul's confidence and true empowerment.
0: We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.